Welcome to the Gravity Podcast, where we host conversations on developing a Christian spirituality rooted in love that fosters resilient faith in everyday life. Gravity Podcast listeners, I'm your host, Matt Tebby, joined by my co-host and co-friend, or co-friending, Ben Stern. <laughs> yep. Co-friends. I think that's just called being friends, Matt. The I'm going to look it up. The kids these days just say, that's just being friends. You're just friends. Yeah, um, I'm not sure if we quite all know what the friends, uh, what the kids are saying these days. We don't. I, I think I, I've reached the, it's maybe a few years ago, mid-40s, I think, for me, when I stopped trying, you know, slash caring, and just being like, I'm just, all right, I'm well, just too old to understand here we go. what's happening. Uh, it's here we go, Ben. Pop quiz. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a Gen Z lingo. Okay. And you're going to tell me what it means. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll. I'll just say the first thing that comes into my head. All right, ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Lit. That. Oh, I know that one. That one's like cool or like happening. Yeah, it's like like, like rad the or dope thing. Yeah. All right, we we got to go fast. This is a lightning round. Okay. Okay, lightning round. Low low key. Low key, like somewhat. Yeah, like yeah, good. Yeah, uh, okay. High key, uh, maximal. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it means like seriously or something. Yeah, yeah, know? okay. Yeah. Uh, facts. Like I'm just telling you the truth here. Yeah, it's like we used to say word. You know, word. Did you ever say word? Yeah. yeah. All word. right. Uh, yeah. M- uh, mood. Is that which you announce what mood you're in? Mood, no, if, and then you just say it. If I were to say, "Hey, the Super Bowl was really great last night," and you mm-hmm. were to say mood, "mood," it means like I feel you. I feel you. I under like I resonate with what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mood. Uh, okay. F- okay. I got it. Uh, let's see. Sus. S- suspicious. I knew this one. <laughs> okay. All right. If somebody says, uh, "I thought the Chiefs would win the Super Bowl on God," on God. Mm-hmm. I, I've never heard that, but I would, uh, context clues, I'm assuming it means like, I swear, I yes. swear, like yes. I, I swear on God, you know, like I, I made a very serious vow. Yes. I'm, I'm talking very seriously to you right now. Good, good, yeah. good. All right. Just a few more. Uh, if I said that, if I say that's based, what do I mean? Um, I feel like that is like, the only way I've heard that is in conjunction with uh, racism. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I feel like uh, I feel like uh, I've seen racists online say that things are based. So I I think it means cool, but I've never heard it in a non-racist context. Yeah, based. I think with the way the kids use it um, m- means like legit. Okay, but then I think uh, based was co-opted by uh, Nazis. And they use it to like signal to other people. Anyway, uh, one last okay. one. Let's right. see. One last one. Uh, cap. Cap. This is one that I've seen that I I don't understand. I don't I don't understand the question, and I'm and I don't care to. <laughs> I'm trying to quote uh, Lucille Bluth from Arrested Development. I can't remember what that quote is, but anyway, I don't know what that one means. No cap. Like uh, I don't even have a guess. I don't even know what that means because I've heard people say no cap. And I don't know what that means either. Yeah. Yeah. Cap no cap. Or no so cap. cap means bogus or lie. Okay. And so no cap would mean like no lie. 
I'm not lying. I'm not lying to you here. Yeah. I'm speaking mm-hmm. sp- seriously. I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of these, at least the ones that you read to me today, Matt, there's a lot of these that are trying to convey to the listener that I'm being very serious in my speech right now. Mm, I don't know if they are. No cap, mood. Well, I guess not mood, but like a word. Uh, what was the one that you said that word on God? Yeah. Yeah. On, on God. I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe you needed that listener and maybe you didn't. Maybe somebody you love needs this. Yeah. If you ever meet a Gen Z person though, this could come in handy because yeah. sometimes when they're talking. Um, so anyway, the reason I think about yeah. this is uh, I was at a, I, I went to two parties over last weekend. It was Super Bowl weekend last weekend. So I was at a Super Bowl party from five and went to overtime last night, Ben. So I, it's 1130 last that's, night. That's when I shut the game off. Eastern <laughs> like, time. I'm, I'm too old for this. I'm going to Yes. Uh, but then the night uh, before I went to a mm-hmm. Euchre tournament. Now Euchre yeah. is yeah. a peculiar card game. Mm-hmm. That's played in s- m- some Midwest states. Yeah, by that- millennials. No, <laughs> no, by boomers <laughs> no, okay. and the silent by generation. Boomers, by Gen Z. Okay. Uh, anyway, yes, yeah. uh, so euchre is just a card game with with a partner, and basically, we were at this euchre tournament from eight p.m. to one thirty in the morning. What? Saturday that's night. That's crazy. Yeah, or Sunday morning. Yeah, so eight to one thirty Saturday night. Wow. And then last night, five to eleven thirty, I am I'm tired. Yeah. And I two nights in a row, like grazed on an appetizer table right. for hours on end. Right. Um, so I'm I'm fasting. I'm gonna start fasting. <laughs> you start you're starting your Lenten fast. Uh, I may just fast early. all Lent. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. But one of the things that was funny is my son and my wife came with me to the Euchre tournament. It was put on by my son has played on a like a soccer team. Mm-hmm. travel soccer team. It was put on by one of the parents of another player. And so that player and my son are friends. So we were there and mm-hmm. the mom who put on this Euchre tournament. Um, so my son and this guy are both freshmen in high school. Yeah. Yeah. So she told every adult there, when you're playing with my son, only speak in Gen Z lingo and use it wrong. So this 15-year-old, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's she amazing. trolled him so hard. This uh, this 15-year-old all night uh-huh. had to listen to 40 and 50-somethings yeah. say to him, man, this hand, this hand is dripping. <laughs> See, we didn't go over that one. I don't know what that means. Drip is yeah. like, drip is like a uh, fit. So when you see, when somebody says uh, nice drip, it means nice outfit. Nice drip outfit. is outfit. Yeah. <clears throat> fit is also outfit. So your yeah. clothes, short for drip fit. and fit. Yeah, yeah but outfit. they were using drip to describe something that was, they were using it like as a synonym for cool. As a synonym for cool, right. So they were misusing Gen Z yeah. lingo for five and a half hours at this kid. Oh, man. And he, I just saw him over the time just slowly get worn out. <laughs> you know, these adults got a little more um, alcoholically lubricated, uh-huh. and he just got worn down all night. <laughs> It's like, uh, mom. No, around yeah. one a.m. I said, "Are you doing okay?" His name, <laughs> he, we call him Q. I said, "Q, are you doing all right?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "Does your mom always troll you like this?" And he looked me dead in the eyes and he said, "Yes." Yes. <laughs> That's all he said. Help me. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, that's really good. Well, anyway, Lent is coming up. <clears throat> Today's Fat Tuesday. 
Yes, the day this releases is Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras, as they call it, uh, if you're French. Um, but yeah, the day before and then Ash Wednesday. This year is February 14th. Um, doesn't happen that way every year, but this, that's the way it happens this year. Yeah. Um, yeah, are you... So, I mean, this is interesting because, you know, I, I find it interesting as a pastor of a church uh, to talk about Lent because people have such wildly different experiences and feelings about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of people who um, grew up with it um, as uh, and, and, and just don't have a good feeling about it at all. The, you know, they've got even maybe like traumatic sort of self-hatred mm-hmm. kind of uh, feeling. You know what I mean? Like remember, they, what they, I, they, I remember what I called it yesterday? Uh, Post-reactionary no, Lent hangover. Yes, yeah. Yeah, where people are, yeah, they associate it with, you know, maybe maybe they were encouraged, uh, to, maybe there's like self-loathing associated yeah. with it. And yeah. so they're just like, I don't want any part of that. I don't, I don't know why people are excited about this. And then there's other people who did not grow up with it, um, which is which is my experience, and maybe grew up in a, in a faith tradition that was a little bit more happy clappy. Um, spiritual bypassing, you know, um, happened a lot in the charismatic world that I grew up in where mm-hmm. everything was, yes, we're always blessed and, you know, like we're too blessed to be stressed. And, and so for me and for others like me, Lent, um, became a, almost a refuge to be like, oh, I can look at dark things and face the unwanted and undesirable parts of myself mm-hmm. in the love of God. Mm-hmm. I don't have to deny them in order to feel like God loves me. I can face them and yes. I can enter into a, a space where things are stripped away. Um, and we can, you know, we can enter into the wilderness together. So anyway, um, so anyway, I find it a challenge sometimes to lead and pastor in that kind of an environment. Um, and I, I imagine our listeners are probably similar, various experiences of mm-hmm. Lent um, yeah. are probably present. So, um, but I, you know, um, I guess before we get into today's episode, I would just, uh, I would just want to say, listener, if you are thinking about maybe participating in Lent or you're not sure how you feel about it, mm-hmm. um, well, I'll put a link to this in the show notes, but we have an article on our website called How to Fast for Lent. And um, mm-hmm. it's kind of a really, fasting is one of the traditional um, disciplines, disciplines of Lent, um, yeah. along with prayer and almsgiving, um, and we get that from Matthew 6, you know, when Jesus talks about um, works of righteousness and, you know, not to do them to be seen by other people, but um, encourages us to do them. And so those are the disciplines of Lent. And fasting is one of the, I think fasting is probably the most countercultural of the disciplines. Yeah. Um, it's the one that people know very little about. Um, we, you know, we think about as like, is that is that self-loathing? You know, is that um, is that, you know. Uh, is that associated with eating disorders? You know, like, is yeah, that and there's dieting? also this, plus you know, this like, moral performance element to it, right? So I'm fasting, so I'm really right. serious. So I'm, I'm really serious about trying hard and I'm, I'm working yeah. really hard. And, and I think people yes. have not yeah. only maybe an allergy to that from a, you know, sort of an old timey gospel, you're saved from works yeah. righteousness, mm-hmm. but also because a lot of our listeners have tried really hard for a long time to to do Christianity right and have yeah. failed. Yeah. Yeah. And so it feels like, oh, here's another opportunity for me to 
sign up to please God and fail. <laughs> or or even right. please myself. Like, could yeah. I just could I just make it through one commitment to fast? Could I just right. could I actually yeah. accomplish could I do this? You know? Yeah. And I think yeah. there's a lot of grief and also mm. pressure and guilt yeah. about That's it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So in your consideration of this, I would definitely want you to pay attention to that. And um for some people they find it actually very helpful because they can't they're not in a place where they're ready to you know, go through the, cause it's a lot of hard work to disentangle mm-hmm. all the assumptions that we bring to Lent. And so, I, I mean, I did this a few years ago, Matt, yeah. I, I did nothing for Lent. I fasted oh. nothing. I had no special discipline that I entered into. Um, then might I suggest that, that might I suggest it's yeah. more appropriate to say you fasted from fasting? Right. I didn't want to be too cute. But, uh, <laughs> That's never stopped me. So go on. So, you know, <laughs> I fasted from, I fasted from fasting anyway. Um, so yeah, so I did that a few years ago cause I felt like, um, I felt like it was a way of taking care of myself and that's ultimately what we're, you know, what we're trying to do in Lent is, um, making, I, you know, this article talks a bit more about it, but it, it's not a way to perform for God or suffer for God or earn God's approval or get God's attention or anything like that. It's essentially a way of making space, uh, to encounter God. Yeah. in a deeper way. And so anyway, if that um, strikes you as interesting, I would encourage you to check out the article. Again, we'll put a link in the show notes and um, hopefully it can help you to have a good Lent. If you at all are on the fence, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you're all on the fence, I would say just listener that this article, I think is the most downloaded article <laughs> yeah. on our website. It is right. Right around Lent every year, there's a spike in our web traffic. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how. I, I don't know how the internet works in particular, but uh, apparently, um, Google thinks that we have some good information about Lent. Um, mm. So, but yeah, yes. that could be it. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's a good. It's kind of a resource article. It's one of those where we, you know, we put some teaching in there and we try to give you some good handlebars for what it would. You know what? It, what what do we actually mean when we talk about fasting for Lent, and um, what would be a good place to start? Yeah. Again, for most people, there may be very good reasons for you not to fast during Lent, and so uh, don't hear it as pressure or anything like that. But an encouragement to think about it, pray about it, discern it with others. Sweet. Yep. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about our in- our interview today, Matt. You were not on this one. No. With Terry Wildman. Um, I am just realizing that I forgot to load up. Well, there it is. But I have the book, man. First yeah. Nations version, an First indigenous Nations translation version. of the New Testament. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we talked with Terry Wildman. This this was one that I had hoped we could do during our series on the Bible, um, and so uh, we didn't get to do it. In uh, it, it can like that can just be an ongoing theme on the podcast. Every once in a while, we're going to talk to people about the Bible. So, we've got an interview with Pete Enns coming up, and this one um, was a similar um, uh, topic because yeah. uh, the First Nations version, this Indigenous translation of the New Testament, is a really fascinating project from Terry Wildman, um, who's actually I've known him. Um, he and I used to go to church together like twenty years ago, uh, oddly enough, um, and then I saw him, you know in the IVP uh, announcements that he had done this translation. So um, he translated the the New Testament into basically an indigenous way of speaking. 
um, that is, you know, it goes across tribes and, and, and things like that. And, um, he talks more about it, but it, it is a fascinating translation that has been helpful for a lot of first nations people who, um, you know, Christianity has left a very bad taste in their mouth for a lot of good reasons. And it has helped them to re-engage with Christian faith and the scriptures um, in a way that feels closer to the way that they think about the world. Um, but it's also been really helpful for a, a lot of white people um, who have uh, who have found it, um, man, just a fascinating a fascinating way of um, mm-hmm. helping us look at the scriptures through a new lens. Um, and I think for me, it, one of the ways that it helped me and, it, and Terry's received a lot of this feedback from other people who come, you know, white people basically, um, that it has helped them to sort of decenter some of their traditional ways of thinking and reading the scriptures that are very white, but we don't recognize that we think of them as just normal. And it's been a helpful, it's a translation that helps you get you outside of that sort of uh, normative, um, hegemonic, mm-hmm. interpretive tradition. To use yeah. some fairly big words there. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, so it's it's a it's a it was a great interview. Um, he he was a lot of fun to talk to. Um, and uh, and yeah, I'm eager to share this with our listeners. I know you weren't on that, Matt. Matt but anything else to share? No, I, I've enjoyed reading it. Yeah, helps me. Uh, you know, one of the one of the gifts that um, honoring other kind of worldviews and perspectives as they approach Jesus is that you come into contact with all of the cultural assumptions yes. you have about scriptures and Jesus mm-hmm. that you didn't know you had. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, the best assumptions are invisible. Right. That's how they, <laughs> that's how they work. That's how they work. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, reading something like this translation helps confront us with our assumptions. And then mm-hmm. we actually have some kind of dominion or agency over those assumptions now yeah, because they've been excavated or brought into our yeah. perception. And now we can navigate them. Is this helpful? Yeah. Is this faithful? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Does this lead to justice and righteousness? Does this lead to, mm-hmm. you know, injustice and, and foolishness? So yeah, let's, yep. let's hear Terry talk about it. Yep. Let's get into it. Here we go. Welcome, everybody, to the Gravity Podcast. Uh, We are talking with Terry Wildman today. Terry Wildman is of Ojibwe and Yaqui ancestry and is the lead translator, general editor, and project manager of the First Nations Version, an indigenous translation of the New Testament, which we are going to talk about today. He serves as the director of spiritual growth and leadership development for Native InterVarsity, He's also the founder of Rain Ministries and has previously served as a pastor and a worship leader. And he and I go, used to go to church together. Um, funny story we'll get into maybe about 20 years ago or so. Uh, he and his wife, Darlene, live in Arizona. Terry, welcome to the Gravity Podcast. Hey, Ben. Thank you for having me here. And uh, um, I'd like yeah. to do an introduction myself. Yeah. Please tell us yeah, a bit please. more about yourself. Yeah. Well, I'll open up with a few words in Ojibwe. So what that means is uh, 
Hello, my friends who share this life together. Mm. Terry Wildman Nishnikaz. That's what my name is. I, my name is Terry Wildman. Hello, my friends who share this life together with me. I was born and raised in Michigan. My ancestry includes Ojibwe from Ontario, Canada, Yaqui from Sonora, Mexico, as well as English, German, and Spaniard. I am married to Darlene Wildman and have five children, eight grandchildren, three great-grandchildren. My wife and I currently live in Maricopa, Arizona, on the traditional lands of the Tahana Otham and the people. It feels good to be here today with all the listeners out there. Thanks for again for having me. Yeah, I I didn't realize. Yeah, thank you for that introduction. I didn't realize you had grand great grandchildren. Yeah, well, you look like you're 27. I don't understand <laughs> that. <laughs> listeners, yeah, understand. Yeah, um, I uh, yeah, th- three great grandchildren. So, oh, that's wow. wonderful. Yeah, yeah, um, that, that, lovely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the First Nations version. It's kind of the the book that we're focusing on here on this episode. It's um, I think the interesting thing about it for me is that it's it's not a translation into a specific native language per se, sure. um, but into the kind of cultural and linguistic thought patterns found in many original tongues uh, spoken here in these lands, um, and it kind of follows the tradition of native storytellers' oral cultures. Um, so I wonder if you could just give us a sense of what are what are some of those thought patterns and ways of speaking that differ from our normal English translations. Yeah, yeah, I'll be glad to uh, uh, to share that. I will say a couple things uh, about the First Nation version and the reason it's in English. Um, there was a purpose behind mm-hmm. why we did this. So because of uh, boarding schools, government assimilation policies, uh, the colonial approach to, you know, colonial settler approach to, from the U.S. government, participated in by the churches. So the churches got involved in actually taking our languages away from us. So if you can imagine the translators on the other side, the Wycliffe translators, other Bible translator organizations mm-hmm. are working to put our language, uh, to put the Bible into our languages, right? Our heart languages. That's very important that people hear something uh, in their heart language. And so, but the the deal is that one side of the church is is taking away our language. So do you think they want us to learn to read our language? (laughs) Right. So a lot of people don't put the, the dots together here. Yeah. And so because of that, today... I would say only uh, maybe 2% of our Native people can actually read those translations. Plus, many of them are out of date now, and no one has done any new ones um, out there. There are a few being worked on now. So so we didn't want to take take away the restoration of our languages. But we felt that since they're not hearing the Bible in in, uh, our mother tongue, then we need a Bible that can best as possible word things in ways that bring some of that heart language into English, mm-hmm. not in a tribally specific way, but in a more tribally general tribal way, kind of like the the powwow culture we have, where we have storytellers, where, where we maintain a lot of different things. Uh, there are a lot of uh, books that were written long ago, and these books had... Um, 
uh, brought more of the way our tra- our, our traditional sp- people, our elders, spoke English from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know how, how English came across uh, with more of our heart language feel, and you can find that in in Black Elk's writing. Uh, you can find that in uh, Chief Joseph's writings, and so the idea was that we wanted to present the scriptures in a way, in, in sort of a, as much as possible a storytelling way, because our people love stories. We learn better by stories than we do by explanations and doctrines. You know, yeah. I mean, it's one thing to tell, uh, to tell the story, uh, you know, of Jesus healing the sick, or you can just do a Bible study on, you know, all these different scriptures about how sickness, what the Bible's talking about with sickness or this or that. Yeah. So the story for us is more powerful. So we brought storytelling elements into it. But also we wanted, we took into account that, that the languages the Bible are, is translated in English. We have, we have um, I don't know, over at, at least 50 uh, right. English Bible translations but none of them have been been done. Many have been done with, with certain audiences in mind, but right. none had been done with the native native people as the as the hearers of it. Yeah. And so, um, uh, after a lot of experimenting and and living on Hopi and finding out these things, finding a Hopi Bible, and that Bible didn't. Um, I got it out of the box in the storage room at the church when I was pastoring up there. Mm-hmm. And I was excited. I took it to our elders in the church and I, I said, can we read out of this, uh, you mm-hmm. know, on Sunday? And that's when they said, we can't read it. Yeah. And I think I found maybe one person who could partially read out of the Hopi Bible if they had another translation, you know, like the NIV in front of them to kind of, guide them yeah. uh, back and forth on the scriptures. And so uh, that was kind of the beginning of a seed planting idea that we need a Bible that's written in English in a way that relates to our native people. Mm-hmm. So because of colonialism, there are certain words we wanted to avoid because in, in our na- we have this history where Jesus was brought to our people. Okay, but how was he brought? What kind of witness did our native people have of Jesus? Oh, Jesus is basically a colonizer. He's a takeover. His, he's one who's willing to force his religion on us um, and deny our, uh, uh, you know, everything about our cultures and who we are and try to assimilate us into uh, this, this other culture. And, and so because of that bad witness, we wanted to stay away from certain words and experiences that pass on genera- generationally through boarding schools. For example, like, and this is going to begin to answer your question. We, we uh, went through about 185 words, Wycliffe Bible translators um, have 185 words that are the most important words in the New Testament to get right. So we went through those 185 words as a council. We have a translation council from different tribes and, and, and stuff. And we, uh, we looked at, okay, how are we going to say sin? Mm. I mean, what does sin mean? Right. Sin means different things to different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what is the actual Greek word? It means to miss the mark. 
to fail to live in the way we were created by creator to live, you know? And so we wanted to, to get that across in the, the best way we, we, as we talked with each other and did some research, we, we, we saw that native people think of possibly those who have bad hearts or broken mm-hmm. ways. So we translated sin as bad hearts and broken ways or sometimes one or the other, depending on the context, because not all sin is from a bad heart, so to speak. That's someone who maybe has given themselves over more to the dark ways. But broken ways is, can mean, man, I, I, I missed the mark. Yeah. You know, my, the path was broken. I, I wandered from the path, whatever it is, the spiritual path of doing what's right and living in the way creator wants us to live. Mm-hmm. So, so, because if I if we put the word sin in, immediately a, a traditional native reading that, walls would go up. Yeah, you know, you're a sinner. Walls go up because that's all. That's what they heard in the boarding schools. Oh, it's a sin uh, to have long hair, so we're going to cut your hair off. Oh, it's a sin to speak your language. Yeah. It's almost a sin to be Native American. Yeah. You know, in that that's sense, that identity that we had that's wrapped up in our language, in our ways of praying, and all these things, that that um, identity was being uh, called sinful. Yes. You know, and so that's why we want to avoid that word. We, we want to try to, in a sense, decolonize the English that's, that, so Native people can actually read the scriptures as much as possible in their heart language, more like the, it would be said in their heart language. And along the way, we met elders, we tested ideas, and the elders would tell us, you're saying it in English the way we think it in our language. Mm-hmm. So we knew we were on track. We knew yeah. that it was getting across. The second thing we wanted to do was do the uh, the the grandfather, the elder who's teaching the children around the fire or around the kitchen table. And so we, we tested that idea out and uh, we've had native young men say when they hear this, especially when they hear it writ, writ, uh, read out loud, they say, well, that sounds like my grandpa. When, when we sat around and he told me the native stories, uh, one little girl says when her grandma was reading it aloud to her, she goes, grandma, the Bible sounds like you. <laughs> you know, so we get these kind of feedbacks. So we know we're on the right track, but we were still kind of nervous about this whole thing. This is yeah. not your standard translation. It's a, it, uh, it's more dynamic equivalence kind of translation. So, uh, there might be elements of paraphrase in it, um, mm-hmm. even though that's kind of a bad word in the translation world, uh, <laughs> is, is to use the word paraphrase. Yeah. But anyway, uh, another idea is the, the kingdom of God. Well, the way kingdoms have been presented to us is from a European base, a European style of kingdom. Okay. Now, Jesus turned that all upside down, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He said, he says, the one that wants to rule needs to serve everybody. The one that wants to be first needs to actually really start last or be last. Um, You know, you're not to, not to uh, boss people around like those Romans do, you know, like, like the Gentiles do. And the Gentiles of that day and that time were the Roman people, primarily Greeks, the Greek and Roman uh, Romans. And the Romans based themselves much on the Greek culture. Um, and so 
for a kingdom of God, we did some research and we said, oh, let's present the kingdom of God as creator's good road. Creator's good road. Because in native ways, we're walking the good red road. That's the, the, the thing that we want. Uh, and then there, so the, the spiritual is, is horizontal. No, I'm sorry, vertical. And the natural is, is horizontal. And in the circle of life, which we have, you'll see a medicine wheel or circle of life. You'll see that cross in the middle of it. And you'll see four quadrants with different colors in it. And that is the, where the two roads intersect, the natural and the spiritual, that's when everything's in harmony and balance. Mm-hmm. And that's what, we're, what Native people are aiming for. How do we live in harmony with the way Creator made the world? How do we live in harmony with, the, with all of our relatives, which means the animals, the plants, um, the rocks, earth, and all people, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And so, and so we wanted to capture that and saying creator's good road shows it as a way of life, which we all know that the kingdom isn't a push down, take control. It's, it's an invitation into a new kind of life, a new way of looking at the world, a new way of seeing and walking and behaving. So we use creator's good road. I've got a lot of others examples, but that's, and the other thing that was probably the most key and important thing we did, and I think we were the first translation ever to do this, at least we've been told we are, uh, is that we took the meanings of the names of the people and the names of places, and we, we found the original in the Hebrew and the Greek, we found the meaning of that name, and we gave it basically a native feel, but we, yeah. uh, we did our best to really research every name and place. And for our Native people, that has meant the most. The feedback we've gotten from Native Americans that have read this mm-hmm. is that, you know, when I read the genealogy, you won me over. <laughs> I cried through the genealogy. Oh, wow. That's how we think. We yeah. look at our ancestors. We understand the importance of ancestry. We understand that even today as we live, we're living with our ancestors inside us. Mm-hmm. And they're, st- they're influencing us in some way, mm-hmm. either through DNA or the, through the teachings that they passed on to us. And in some spiritual, mysterious way, they may have some influence over us in other ways we don't understand. And that's, mm-hmm. So we call that mysterious ways. Yeah. You know? I love that. That's what we call the creator. We call him the great mystery is one of one of the ways that we speak of, of the supreme being of God. It's so good. We'll be right back. Let's get back to the show. Terry, I mean, I hear so much thought and heart and research went into this. And, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. So I'm, I'm hearing you saying it was received well and welcomed by the native communities and churches. Um, do you have any stories, more stories? Like you shared that little girl saying, it sounds like my grandma. Um, can you maybe share, just double click, share maybe another story of how it's been helpful for native Christians? Yeah. Um, um, I can't remember the date, but um, at least maybe a year, a year, year and a half ago, after it had been released for a while. It was released in August, uh, end of August, August 31st, uh, 2021. Mm-hmm. So maybe uh, a year after that, I got an email one day from a young Native woman 
who lives in Canada, and she's going to Bible college. She's attending Bible college. She's become a follower of Jesus. And one of her classes requires her to read a book and then reach out to the author and give feedback to the author author about your book, about the book he wrote. And she wrote me and said, I would like to do this on the First Nations version. Would that be okay with you? And even though I told her I wasn't the author, that I was the primary, primary translator on it, but, uh, you know, as long as she understood that, that part, and she did, um, mm-hmm. uh, she said, I would like to do that. So, you know, I, I can't remember how long it was. I got the response back. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I could read it to you if I if I would have known ahead of time to bring that up. But I'll tell you basically what she said. She said in the, the letter, when I first started reading that First Nation version, she goes, I didn't think there was any way that you could connect our native ways and our native spirituality to the Bible or to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I, I've been taught that that wasn't possible. She says, so I, I, I was reading it, she said, suspiciously. She said, but the more I read it, the more it began to speak to my heart. It began to speak to me in ways that other translations haven't spoken to me. I began to see Jesus in a new light and see him in a new, in a new way that didn't take away from the way, by, way I've already been taught, but it actually added more depth yeah. to who he is for me. I began to see him in the context of my native culture. And she says, and another thing that happened was I, my mom and dad, she says, are not, are not believers in Jesus. They're very traditional people. And when I, when I became a believer, they were very sad. And I said, I said, well, could we get together and, and talk about it? And we could read the Bible together and, and discuss it together. And they said, no, we don't want to read that Bible. You know, there's too much bad stuff has gone on. Well, she took this to her parents, the First Nation version, told her who did it, Native people, a group of Native people, told her how it's touched her life. And and she says, can we read this one together? And she says, they are now reading it. We are reading it together as a family. Come on. No, I'm not kidding. It's amazing. And we've actually got feedback uh, through, um, uh, you know, the Amazon reviews on Mm -hmm. Amazon.com. There's been a, a person on there who said that, uh, almost the same thing. They're reading it together as a family with mm-hmm. traditional people. Yeah. And so uh, another, I'll give you another story that happened just recently. We were in Monrovia, California. Um, and uh, we, we had been asked to speak at this place called the um, Fellowship for, Re- for Racial Reconciliation. And we, they put together, they asked me to come. Well, I was already going to be in their area, so they asked me to come. And would I speak on the First Nation version? Because they're finding it's actually crossing cultures within their own group, um, which was interesting. But uh, so one of their group members is a uh, Gabrielino native person, or you can say Tongva in California. It's one of the uh, tribes there, and she had become a believer in Jesus. She got up to greet us and to welcome Darlene and I into that part of the thing. She gave us a gift, and we uh, again return, uh, gave her a gift because that's one of the things we do uh, uh, to uh, when we come into a territory, you bring a gift with you. 
Um, so, so, um, she got up and then she starts telling her own testimony of how she was ready to give up Christianity because of all, none of her people would listen. None they get mad at her. And she was really starting to doubt what's going on here. Is this the right message? And someone gave her a copy of the first nation version. She, this is, she's a woman who's in college now, you know, and she told me that, or, or told the whole group that, when she read the First Nation version, it restored her faith. Mm. She says, and now I give it away all the time. And, and I talk to people about it and I read from it. And there's more openness mm. than the other approach I was using to try to yeah. do this. So it's become something our native, native followers of Jesus are using yeah. in, to help share this good story. Um, and also... Is there time for one more? Uh, sure, I love story? the stories. Let's okay, so a man in Canada is going to Iraq. I won't name the people there, but there's an indigenous group of people in Iraq, mm -hmm. and they've been persecuted by the Muslims. They're indigenous; they have their own indigenous language. They're not Muslim, okay? And he he's been working with them for years, and they're bringing Christianity to this to this group, and. So he got a hold of the First Nation version, and uh, and he started uh, how they would often read the Bible. It, it, the people aren't speaking English. They would have some English speakers that could translate from English, like the NIV, into the indigenous language there. And so he started doing that with the First Nation version, and he said, they just came alive. They said, this makes sense to us much more than the other translation. It speaks in our way of thinking and our, in our, uh, our way of seeing. And these, these, uh, some of the women from that little group of indigenous people, uh, they, they do knitting and they make these beautiful little lambs and, and, <laughs> and octopuses and different things. And they sent clear back here from, from Iraq, they sent us, Darlene and I, these little, things there with, with their names on them and with a little thank you note, thank you for the First Nation version, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's actually touched people in Iraq, India. Translators mm -hmm. have, have been using uh, the First Nation's version. Uh, in Mexico, uh, we have a translator who actually, uh, um, she is the trainer. She's training the translators mm -hmm. for reaching indigenous cultures in Mexico. Oh, wow. Okay. And she re read the First Nation version. She wanted to interview me. And she says in her, she's using the First Nation version to teach the translators how to take into context colonial, the colonial takeover yes. and how that's affected how people read the Bible, yes. you yes. know? And so yeah. uh, it's, ha it's happening like that. It's amazing. We're getting, yeah. I, I could share more, but you're getting in the, the idea. One, one, one more thing is non-native people have yes. been, been talking to me. There's been a lot of people in, in deconstruct, deconstruction. I've had at least four people say, I couldn't read the Bible anymore. But yeah. when I found the First Nation version, I could read it. Yeah. I could read it again. Yeah. And it's, it's helping me, you know. So, so yeah. it's going beyond just the, it's, it's. I look at it like this. It's a gift from mm -hmm. our native people to the dominant culture. 
Yes. You know, uh, to as a blessing. We, we're not trying to keep it to ourselves or anything, mm-hmm. but we want to share it. And if it can help people everywhere, you know, yeah. we're just amazed. And we're surprised that all this has happened. Yeah. You know, it was enough for me and our group <laughs> just to say, can we help a few of our Native people understand Jesus yeah. better? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to ask you about that because that, I mean, how I heard about this translation is through sort of non-Native people uh, reading it and finding it to be very meaningful. Um, there's actually somebody um, who's part of one of our cohorts and has been part of kind of the, the Gravity Universe for a long time. He is an Episcopal priest um, who has been reading it devotionally yeah. um, and kind of wrote to his church about, you know, um, the, the kind of the, the new way that it allows him to, to read the scriptures and, and mm-hmm. hear hear the, the scriptures in, in a certain way. And this is one of the things he wrote in uh, this article was, was this. He said, this, this indigenous translation, talking about the First Nations version, it helps others of us, non-Native people, recognize the way that a white Eurocentric lens has impacted translations of our sacred texts, which yeah. themselves emerged in an ancient Near Eastern context over hundreds of years. And so, you know, I, I, it does seem to me that part of the gift of this translation is that it helps us non-Native people may, maybe have a new lens for how how much our reading of Scripture has also been colonized, right? Yes. You know, like, and how it's not, um, and how how much that sort of white Eurocentric culture was steeped in yeah. Um, ideas of colonization. And so when we read, you know, Basileia, the, the kingdom of God, we have certain thoughts about that, you know, about what that means. Right. And um, yeah, just what a gift um, it is to, to non-Native people. I wonder if you, I don't know, do you have any other reflections on that? What, like, what do you think is going on there when non-Native people read this and find it to be so helpful and freeing? Well, one of the things, um, when, 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 uh, I started working on this translation. Uh, you know, I, I have, you know, good Bible software, uh, Logos Bible software. As a matter of fact, it's available on Logos Bible software. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I began to look at maybe, uh, you know, 15 different English translations, I began to see that, that, that there was more similarity between them than there was differences. Mm-hmm. And that they always translated certain things exactly the same way. And any psychologist will tell you in, in some term that when you read just the same words over and over again, uh, they start losing their impact on you emotionally. Uh, and so, so to you, use different words, just that there to, you know, look at the kingdom of God a different way mm-hmm. to, um, to understand sin a little bit differently to, here um, to see a little more. There, there's a little bit of um, of artistic uh, yeah. things in it. We've uh, I I was told by one uh, person who was a used to be he was a King King James only person, okay. and he says the only other Bible I read in King James now is the First Nation version. <laughs> he says he says you've captured the the beauty and poetry of the King James version and you might have surpassed it he said now that's huge to me to imagine yeah. that you know i mean 
may, I, I still love some of the verses from the King James version, yeah. just because of yeah. the the way it the, that it expresses uh, the English and things like yeah. that. Yeah. But I, I, I'm not sure. Um, I think there's a, a a great hunger inside people uh, that have been white people that have been raised in our culture. There's a, a certain amount of wondering about Native Americans. Yeah. There's there's a certain amount of like mystery there. What you know, they've been taught that all their spirituality is bad, you know, it's all demonic and all these different things. And there's a certain amount, and I hate to say this because there's a, a certain amount, I think, deep-seated in us uh, of, of white guilt. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I think this begin uh, begins to uh, present the scriptures from native people. And I think there's a great surprise in there. That's how people have expressed it to me. Um, and it's given them a new interest in understanding and connecting with native American people. It's, they're losing some of the fear, uh, the cultural fear and, and distance uh, there. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's a really good question. I mean, you, yeah. But but yeah, it's a I mean, it, it, I for me, that. yeah, um, I appreciate those reflections. I think, I think for me, it it I I recognize some of that stuff. I think there is, as you say, there is a white guilt that you know is just is just there, you know, because of the the sins of our ancestors, right? And and we realize how much has been lost, and it's it's painful, you know, to think about that and to realize that. Um, and yeah, there's just so many questions I think that follow on from this for me. Um, one, one question I might have for you related to that um, is, as, you know, as we've become more conscious in the past few years about the harms of um, that have been done to Native people, you know, to, to Black people, basically, you know, through colonization, slavery, all that kind of thing. But as we've learned about that, um, I think one of the one of the dangers that's easy for uh, people to fall into is cultural appropriation. So yeah. sort of taking some of those cultural elements and using them in an inappropriate way, in a harmful way. Um, and so I, I wonder if you have a perspective as a native person who's been working in white Christian spaces for a long time. I wonder if you can help us understand the difference between appropriation and appreciation, maybe is one way to say it. Like as we read the First Nations version, how can we I don't know if you have thoughts on the difference between those two things, but you know, one being able to appreciate some elements of native culture without appropriating in harmful ways. Right. Uh, you know, this is a question I've been asked before. And, and, uh, uh, one, one woman asked me, she said, can we read this in our church? Would that be cultural appropriation if we read the first nation right. version in our church? Right. Yeah. And I said, well, our native people, historically, among our tribes, have always shared aspects of our culture with other tribes. Okay? And when I lived on the Hopi Reservation in northern Arizona for five years, I learned a lot about the Hopi people. And I would attend some of their, their festivals and their, their, their uh, gatherings and dances and things like that. And I remember... I saw, uh, we, went, we went to a buffalo dance. Mm -hmm. And I thought, buffaloes, did there used to be buffaloes here? Why are Hopis <laughs> doing a buffalo dance? And I asked an elder, how come you're doing a buffalo dance? I said, 
did there used to be buffaloes here? And he goes, oh, oh no, oh, no. He says, there was a tribe uh, that came from the plains, and they came out here to visit us, and they showed us, the, they danced their buffalo dance. And they said, you can have it too, <laughs> if you like it. And so yeah. the Hopis still dance a buffalo dance. Now, they do it in honor yes. of the people that came and gave it to them. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I I don't know already that may be giving some answers here. Yeah. The the idea of not taking but being given. Yes. When you take something without permission, you know, uh, you know, and appropriate it to yourself, then then uh it's not a good thing. Yeah. I call, I would say that's appropriation. Some of our tribes are, are even uh arguing over some of these issues themselves. Sure. You know, can can this tribe over here do a sun dance? Mm-hmm. You know, and the Lakota or maybe the Dakota people, they, oh, I don't like the fact that they're doing the sun dance, you know, and, and things like that. And so that even among our own people, there's there's some things. But the but the good things I've seen is that traditionally we, we didn't argue about things like that until until co- colonialism. You know, we didn't colonize each other. Yes. Uh, And when we came together with gatherings, now if you go to a powwow today, you will see a blend of cultures. Mm. Powwows are intertribal mostly. And and even when a a powwow is done with a tribe that is all their own people, they will still bring in drum, drum singers from another tribe they have the southern drum and the northern drum and then they have all these different dances and these dances some are ojibwe dances some are lakota dances some are these other kinds of dances and we all come together and we see us this as sharing the beauty of who creator has made us to be with others mm. that's why we like non-native people to come to powwow so they can learn about us they can actually get out in the arena when they're invited don't go out there without invitation. But when they say, hey, this is going to be an intertribal dance, you know, everybody's welcome. Regalia, no regalia. And then people are invited to go out there. Well, they're not appropriating the culture. Right. And, and even in Germany, Germany has powwows with all mm-hmm. German people. Mm-hmm. But what happened was they asked the native people to come over and teach them how to do the powwow. Mm-hmm. And so I heard a, a Lakota person once tell me, Oh man, I, I'm a good powwow dancer, but I went over there and they're get they're getting better than we are. Those Germans <laughs> are so precise, he says. <laughs> so so you know, I'm not saying there isn't some controversy involved. I'm just saying let's look at honoring. Yeah. What's the best honoring way? So the First Nation version is our gift yeah. to our native people. It's our gift to the dominant culture. So you're not appropriating anything by 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 doing that, you're actually honoring us by receiving the gift we're offering. Mm, that's a lovely way to put it. Thank you. And now, a word from a sponsor. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life, so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. 
It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying new practices. In the Gravity Formation course, we go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us towards holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives, to learn how to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com formation. All right, let's get back into our conversation. And you know, in a few minutes, I do want to ask you to to maybe read to to share the beauty of this translation, um, and have you read a passage. But before we do that, I'm wondering. I, I'm guessing that there are people who are listening, and actually, me myself too, um, want to learn more about Native American culture and history. And so, do you have recommendations or things? specifically to actually stay away from <laughs> like books or TV shows or, you know, um, maybe school us in what we shouldn't go towards and, and what we should, you know, engage in. And wow. learn from. You know, I'd have to almost give you a list of, of books I would recommend, you know, um, a lot of the, the, the missionary books that were written um, don't always, they, they present, the culture in a negative light. Yeah. They've, they've already prejudged everything. Yeah. They've already decided ahead of time that, that somehow this westernized form of Christianity is superior to anything they have. Mm-hmm. And we have, I, I believe that, that Christians in America, not all, but the majority of Christians in America have a superiority complex about this message about Christianity, about, you know, and, and, uh, you know, they, they said they were bringing us good news, but we couldn't find the good news in what they brought us. Mm -hmm. It was, it, it it turned out for us to be bad news. Uh, and so, um, they didn't even take the, the, the idea never entered their mind that we might have some good news for them. Yes. We might have some ways of looking at the creator, uh, through different eyes in a way that would enhance their understanding of Christianity and these things. And I think that that is still needed today. Maybe the First Nation version is a step in that direction of, yeah. of telling Christians, you know, in the church in America, uh, you, you can find beauty here. You can find ways of looking at, 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 Jesus and at, at God and and the world and creation around you in a new way in a way that probably is more would can I say is closer to what Jesus taught yeah than what we're actually teaching now yes and so uh, uh, what to stay away from well maybe some of the old missionary books uh, that that would present uh, in a negative light. I, I tell people all the time, uh, read books that actually, if the book doesn't acknowledge that, that there's been a problem, there's been colonialism, there's been uh, this you know takeover stuff, and that we've really mess, messed up things, then don't read it. 
you know, you're on the wrong track. There are, there are authors out there that, that will give you the honest truth about it. Quit trying to hide it. And there are some non-Native authors that have written good books that have been affirmed by Native. D. Brown, you know, uh, is, is a good author. Uh, what, what's the title of the book? Uh, something about my heart at wounded knee, you know. Um, uh, and, and so I'm trying to look it up for you here. <laughs> yeah. D Brown's book. Yeah. Bury um, my heart at wounded knee. Bury my heart at wounded knee. Yeah. Native people have loved that book because D Brown did a good job of presenting the truth about these things. Um, and there's, there's been other books uh, along the way there's, uh, uh, that have been written and affirmed by native people, but they're also fine native, well, you know, first of all, fine native believers. If you're a Christian, and you want to make connection, there's great books out there uh, that you can read. I can recommend uh, authors. You know, you've got uh, Randy Woodley, Richard Twist. You've got um, uh, uh, George Tinker. Uh, his, his books are very challenging to, to the kind of Christianity we've been, we've been offering uh, to people and things like that. So, uh, and then move over into the non-Christian native reading. Read Vine Deloria Jr. Read some others, because we need to hear how Christianity is being viewed by others who have had a bad experience through Christianity and actually acknowledge and admit that they're right. That's right. You know, and and, and because if you can't admit to these things, it it feels like a cover-up. You know, yeah. or you make excuses uh, along the way. Oh, those weren't really Christians that did that. Well, they said they were, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they they professed to be, you know. And it's not my job to sort out who was Christian and who wasn't, because I realize that Christians can do horrible things in the right situations or the wrong situations. Christians mm-hmm. have done terrible things. You know, if you look at the history of Christianity through Europe, oh, my gosh, you know, you almost yeah. lose your faith. You know, I had a crisis of faith when I studied uh, how Christianity uh, went through Europe and and the the whole the whole origin of colonialism and then the doctrine of discovery, all these different things. Yeah, Uh, it it it's just it's shocking and and it's really hard for for people who are just really enjoying church, enjoying their. Bible studies, enjoying their pastor's thing, their their little suppers together and things like that. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying they're kind of living in, I'm sorry, a little bit of a fantasy world Yes. about what Christianity has done, is really about and what has been done in the name of Christ uh, that has mm-hmm. been so bad that we need to address and then yes. we need to own own up to. And when I say we, I've got native Native ancestry, I've got European ancestry, and I was formed through evangelical uh, churches, you know, and I'm, I'm having to deconstruct some of the ways I've been formed and native culture and my native, uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, spirituality is helping me do that. Yes. Yes. And, and so what a little bit you see in the first nation version is a part of my journey of deconstructing. It's part of my journey of looking at Christianity through, through different eyes and being formed in a different way in my faith in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Terry, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, I remember having a similar crisis. I read Willie James Jennings book, uh, the Christian imagination 
Um, and you learn about all that kind of how the doctrine of discovery, all that kind of stuff was, was legitimized, you know, by the Christians, the, the white, the white Western Christians. Um, and, and I think he points this out, but I, I remember feeling this as I read the book, what a deep tragedy it is that, cause the, the, the whole world at that time was like, we were discovering that there were people in far flung places who were who are very different, right? And so the, this kind of like blend of cultures was beginning to happen. And what a deep tragedy it is that we didn't come, we European, you know, uh, those of us with European ancestry, we didn't come to Africa, to, you know, to North America, to um, Asia. Like we didn't come in mutuality because there would have been so much to learn and there still is so much to learn. Um kind of from, from each other, if we would come, come together, uh, you know, in that, in that mutual way. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really appreciate, I really, I, I appreciate the way that, um, this ver- translation of the new Testament is a reflection of your own journey, um, yeah. and how, um, helpful I think it can be, um, for those of us who want to learn to live a more decolonized faith yeah. in general. Yes. So, yeah. Well, would you, would you read for us? Would you read a, read a passage. Um, we've been talking about this book and, and I think that there is, um, there's power in just sort of reading the pages, reading the words on the page. Um, but I think a, a big part of the, um, the beauty of this translation, I think is also, um, kind of how it can be spoken out loud in that tradition of the native storytellers. Um, and so I, I'd love to hear you yeah, well, I'd like to explain one thing as I'm going to read this interesting uh, passage from Philippians. Okay. Okay. So um, we use, in the translation, we've used like phrasing from Black Elk. Okay. Black Elk would say, when I send my voice to the Great Spirit, that, mm-hmm. you, that's prayer. When yeah. I send my voice to the Great Spirit. So we use that. In the First Nation version, you'll hear it there. So we were trying to capture some of the older ideas that our elders from, uh, you know, over 100 years ago, how they were speaking of prayer or, or, or these different things. But we also wanted to capture a little bit of our modern Native culture, to, uh, which is the powwow culture, is a lot of what a what our inner tribal culture is. And we have sort of a powwow language and a powwow way of looking at things and, and the dances and stuff. So we have what's called in a powwow a victory dance. And that's to honor the, we honor the veterans in that victory dance. And we, we, we declare that, that we are being led into victory, you know, uh, and we are honoring uh, those who, who are sacrificed for that victory, you know? So, in Philippians 3, I'm going to use powwow language. You're going to hear headman dancer. Well, the headman dancer in the powwow is they have a headman dancer and a headwoman dancer. And so they lead the way on every dance. And, and they're the first ones to begin the dance, and everybody else follows behind them as they dance around the circle. So you have this headman dancer that's leading the way. And, and the, of course, you have an arena director and you have different things. But in this one, we're going to talk about the victory dance and stuff. And this is where Paul begins uh, in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul is saying, talking about finishing the race and, and, okay. and, and pressing on, right? Yeah. Uh, in our standard language, uh, 
Bible translation. So I'm going to read it to you from this translation. I do not mean to say that I have won the victory or have already arrived at the end of the good road, but I keep dancing the victory dance, staying in step with the chosen one who is the headman dancer leading the way. In this way, I can fully become what the chosen one creator sets free has made me to be. My sacred family members, I do not represent myself as one who has finished the victory dance. My one aim is to forget what is behind me and to keep moving forward, dancing the victory dance with firm steps to the drumbeat of creator's heart. I keep my eyes straight ahead while I dance toward the high honor the great spirit has called me to through the chosen one creator sets free. So that's using a modern powwow language. Yeah. And Native people will understand that real clearly. I, I was in a group once uh, in, in YWAM, and there were some non-Native people and Native people there. And I was, I was uh, in the middle of just, I had just translated this portion, and I shared it with the group. And several of the white people looked and said, that doesn't, that's not the Bible. That's not what <laughs> Paul's saying. And the Native people say there, I get it now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it really, this means yeah. a lot to me. So you can oh, see yeah. right there, yeah. the audience in this has been Native yes. people. And then once it was explained, some of the, some of the, the other guys who, who are kind of like uh, minor theologians uh, <laughs> kind of started coming around a little, but it took a yeah. while for them to even accept that you could yes. uh, bring it out this way. Yes. Uh, you know. Yeah. Well, thank you for reading that. Oh, um, let's go. That's and thank really you good. for being here. I, yeah. I, I wonder if maybe just in closing, you can kind of, how can people stay in touch with you and your work? And are, are there new projects that we should keep our eyes out for? Are you working on anything new right now? Yeah. Well, one of the ways to, to get in contact with you, you can sign up for our, our email on our, our website, firstnationsversion.com. Um, and uh, you'll get a newsletter, every, you know, maybe every other month or so. We're not, we don't put a lot out there. Uh, and we also, for if, you, if there's any Facebook users left out there, uh, <laughs> we have a Facebook page okay. uh, called the First Nation Version Project. And we try to keep people updated. Sometimes we share samples. Uh, we're getting uh, uh, to the place where we're going to do that. So, that's one, you know, one way to keep in touch with us, website, Facebook page. We do have an Instagram page, but I'm sorry, I haven't kept up with it. You know? <laughs> it's all good. Uh, you can only do so much. You can I only do so much, you know. I feel that. But uh, another, uh, uh, another thing, oh, how to stay in touch. I was going to say something else, but I just... It just slipped my mind. That's okay. Um, If you think of it later, we can put it in the show notes, but um, sure. Good. And any, any new projects? I mean, what, what are are you working on now? That was the other. Okay, good. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. Well, well, uh, since um, we're a year and a half into Psalms and Proverbs, we're doing this the same way we did the new Testament, except we've added more consultants. We have a Hebrew consultant, uh, Professor L. Daniel Hawk from um, uh, Ashland, Univ- uh, Ashland uh, Seminary in Ohio, 
uh, he's uh, been really uh, helpful on that. He's a Hebrew scholar. And we have uh, Amy Allen, who's a consultant. She is uh, working on her PhD in Hebrew poetry. So she's a really good consultant to have there in Psalms and and in Proverbs uh, there. And we have uh, half of our old council is still working on from the New Testament, still working on this. And we got new new people in there. We have elders. We have uh, many different tribes, uh, tribal representations within our 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 translation council, and Psalms and Proverbs. Uh, should come out early in 2025. InterVarsity okay. Press is publishing it. Okay. Um, we, you know, if, if you go to our website, we have a whole page on our website about Psalms and Proverbs, what we're doing. You can see uh, who the council is. You can hear explanations. There's a lot more on our website if you want to go a little deeper into okay. why we do this and how we did this. Excellent. Well, we'll put a link uh, in the show notes uh, to those things, the Facebook page and the website, and um, a link to the First Nations version. Um, Terry, it has been lovely to spend some time with you and to see you again after 20 years or whatever, however long it's been for you and I. Um, Thanks for spending some time with us. Well, well, thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm wondering, uh, there's one, do we have time for one more thing or or should I just? We certainly do. Of course. Okay. I would like to share um, something uh, that I share with a lot of people about, you know, uh, our native culture and and about Christianity and stuff. Okay. Um, I, I'm just right now. I'm just going to read it to you. Okay. <laughs> uh, to shorten my story, <laughs> okay. I once had a picture in my mind of several pottery jars. Some of them had First Nations designs on them. Some Celtic some African, Asian, and many more. I saw a hand pouring water into each pottery jar. It was like Creator was saying to me that he has poured some portions of his gifts of grace into each ethnic group, gifts of grace that can only come to others through each ethnicity and culture and in relationship with them. This picture has remained with me for many years, and I've shared it many times. I always ask this question of the listeners. Is the body of Christ living in Turtle Island, that's North America, willing to drink from the grace creator has poured into our native people? Mm. That's the thought for you to consider out there. I, I say that. miigwech, yes. that's thank you for listening. Yes, well, thank you for being here with us, Terry. And thank you for that final challenging thought. Well, Christy, I don't know how you experienced that, but I, man, my thoughts were going, I feel like a mile a minute trying to ping off various things that I would have loved to, I don't know, that podcast could have been three hours long. Right, um, right. Both because Terry's a great storyteller and because I had a lot of questions. Well, there's so much to learn. There's so much to learn. Yeah, there really is. Um, One of the things I thought of, though, um, that I didn't get a chance to mention um, I may have talked about this in the podcast before, but, you know, I, I took a, um, it was kind of a, a course, like an online course on uh, racism through the Episcopal church called sacred ground. Mm-hmm. And one of the exercises they recommended that 
that people do was to, for white people in particular, was to get in touch with their actual ethnic like origins. Um, and so, you know, right at the end of the podcast there where, where Terry was saying, you know, the, the picture of the water pitcher and the, the gifts of grace given to each ethnic group. Yeah. Um, I think the, the, the realization I had when I went through that course was that white is not an ethnic group. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a culture. It's not, you know, it, it's not, it doesn't have history. Like white is a racial category that was invented to justify oppression and greed and colonization. We created this category called white, which says basically we're allowed to oppress you because we're white and you're not. And that, you know, obviously is a very fluid category. People got added to that category as time went on. So one of the ways, like, and I found this a helpful way for me to sort of decolonize from my own white identity, not in a way of like separating myself from it. I think that's a that's an unhealthy way of thinking about it. Like sure. <laughs> I am white, you know what I mean? Like that, that I am formed in that, but a way of sort of um, creating a little bit of distance from the, the category white as this racial oppressive category was to get in touch with my actual ancestors and to ask the question like, okay, why am I here in these lands? Right. As mm-hmm. a person with Danish, uh, you know, uh, descent, I'm a person of Danish descent, Norwegian, there's a little German in there. And I found it fascinating to the, the, the family group that I know the most about is the, my Danish ancestors who apparently came over here in um, the 1920s because the post-war economy had caused a, a really severe depression in Denmark. And there was not a lot of uh, jobs to be had, not a lot of money to be made. And so they came over here because they were going to get free land. <laughs> free, you know, in quotes, <laughs> right, right? Right. Which, you know, probably stolen from the Native Americans. So that's a complex part of my story. But they came over here intending to only be here for a few years, um, make some money farming the land, and then move back. And they moved, I think they were in South Dakota for, uh, for the most part. Um, but the Depression hit here in the States shortly after they arrived. And so they they never made enough money to move back, you know, and they were they were renting farms and had to move around every two to three years. I found it so interesting for just to learn about that history of like these these are my people. Like, and the reason that I'm here is this specific reason. And maybe some of the heartbreak mm-hmm. of not being able to go back you know, is still present. Like he talked about your, his ancestors living in his, in his body, you know, through DNA and all that kind of stuff. And there's all kinds of stuff that people are discovering about like epigenetics and things like that, that make me wonder, you know, I I feel like I'm learning about myself as I learn about the reason my Danish, at least my Danish ancestors, I know a lot less about Norwegian and German ancestors, but the reason my Danish ancestors are here is they needed jobs. They needed money. And the reason they, the reason I'm still here, you know, is because they didn't make enough money to move back. You know, they sort of had to stay. Yeah. So anyway. Do you, do you practice any Danish heritage cultural yeah. things? You yeah. Know? That's another, that's another fascinating part of us that I think, I think I found helpful and we do, uh, well, it's a, it's a Norwegian thing. So okay. we do. Both, both some Danish and some Norwegian stuff. One thing is we make lefse, uh every Christmas, which is like What's a that? thin potato crepe. 
okay. kind of a thin potato pancake kind of crepe thing that you you make with this certain kind of flour and there's a stick, little like mm. wooden stick that you use to make it. Um, and you usually put some like butter and brown sugar on it and roll it up and eat it. Um, so we make lefsa every year. Um, we, and then, you know, and one of the other things my mom has started to um, learn about, like she went back to Denmark to visit some sites and kind of learn about her ancestors. Cause she's, that's where the Danish comes from is from her side. Um, and uh, she, she started learning about Huga. I don't know if you've heard of Huga. What's Huga? It, Huga is, man, I'm going to get it wrong unless I look it up, but it's kind of this Danish word that refers to a sense of uh, comfort. Hmm. And so you, you, you can set up your, you know, your room in a way that promotes Huga, um, okay. like comfort and well-being, kind of like, yeah. whole, I, I see it as like a Danish concept of like, everything is in its right place and everything is very good here, okay. you know? And so mm-hmm. anyway, so learning, learning some about that. So. That's awesome. Anyway, those are the things that come to mind. Man. Well, I'm sad that uh, Matt wasn't able to join us on this. Um, yeah, I'm sure he would have had some fun He uh, would have had so many well. questions. He totally yeah. would. Yeah. Um, I was going to encourage him uh, the next time he goes golfing to to bring an extra pair of socks and he's not here. So maybe, maybe he can he's listening pass to that this on. Post. Yeah. I'll pass yeah. it on to him to bring an extra pair of socks next time he goes golfing. Why is that, Christy? Oh, just in case he gets a hole in one. <laughs> but um, but um, well done, well done, man. Come on, you are Matt's gonna love in, it. Yeah, you're filling in uh, his shoes uh, admirably. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well done. All right, all right, well, listeners. It's been fun. Yeah, it has been. It's been great. So we'll catch you next time. Peace, y'all. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, please tell your friends about it. Word of mouth is the best advertising. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. To join discussions about the podcast and lots more, join us in the Gravity community. It's free to join and you can connect there with other listeners to the podcast to talk about faith and spirituality and whatever else comes up. To join, go to gravitycommons.com slash community. The Gravity Podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the podcast. You can check out his mixing, engineering, and production work at aaronsternke.com. Finally, we would love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, you can go to gravitycommons.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravitycommons.com. Catch you next time.